Wow, do we got a juicy, spicy, hot and wet episode for you. I'm just kidding. No, but really, this was a really fun and informative conversation all around sex, baby. We got a chance to sit down and talk to the incredible Dr. Shannon Chavez, who is a licensed clinical psychologist and certified sex therapist with a private practice, SHAPE, Sexual Health and Pleasure Enhancement. It's a center in Beverly Hills, California, where she provides individual and couples therapy, sex and relationship coaching, and workshops on sexual health and wellness. Her work focuses on adult sex education, integrating sexuality and spirituality, and sexual discovery towards personal growth. You can see her frequently appear on national news, radio, and media as a sexual health expert. Y'all, she dropped some amazing, amazing bombs on all things sex. How to talk to your partner, family, friends, please yourself. I mean, girl, this is the episode for you. You trying to relieve some stress? We got you. Without further ado, let's get into it. to the bestie bestie bone bone podcast we have a really exciting and juicy episode today that LV and i are so excited about i want to introduce our incredible guest dr shannon chavez hi dr chavez hi thank you for having me thank you so welcome to the podcast thank you so much for joining us thank you so much for making the time uh we know that our friends and a lot of our followers were also really excited about this episode so let's jump right in let's go ahead and start by um introducing yourself to our listeners tell them about your background where your family's from where you grew up and what you currently do Sure. So I am Dr. Shannon Chavez. I'm a licensed psychologist and certified sex therapist with a private practice in Beverly Hills called Shape Center, where I work with adults and offer therapy, counseling, education, workshops, pretty much all things sexuality. And I've been doing this work for quite some time. It's my passion. I've always been so interested in sex ever since I was a kid. So that has become uh, what I do and the work that I do. And I've been in California for almost 18 years, but my family actually comes from the New Mexico area. And I grew up in the Southwest with a big family and have been living out here in California, me and my husband. Oh, that's wonderful. We also really like sex from a young age. (laughs) (laughs) I was the kid asking the questions and making my mom blush and making people uncomfortable. That was me. So it's not surprising I became a sex therapist. (laughs) That's, you know, I was the same way. And I remember my first time, I think I may have told you this, is that my mom and I were watching Oprah and it was really late at night. It was like when her episodes came on again in the evening and a sex therapist came on and my mom's like Miha cover your eyes you can't and I'm like mom I'm I'm 18 years old stop (laughs) I know all about this okay we should listen to this together and she was like oh my god no 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 and I'm like mom we're gonna watch this together (laughs) and that was my first time with my at least talking about it with my parents 
You know, I got, I remember hearing that too growing up. I remember my mom telling me to close my eyes and for my brother to pay attention. So very mixed <gasps> messages at home wow. for boys and girls. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is, yeah. That is honestly probably the norm in a lot of, especially like Latino exactly. households. Exactly. I mean, I grew up yeah. in a conservative Catholic household. And that's one of the reasons I got into this work is because I grew up with, so many mixed messages around sex. I remember hearing, you know, it's bad, dirty, wrong, don't do this, but then also being really curious about sex and hearing all these mixed messages, growing up in the 80s, seeing it on TV, listening to all this great music that talked about sex. So I wanted to figure out everything about it. And I still work with people that are dealing with shame coming from conservative families or cultural backgrounds. So that's actually one of my niche areas in my practice is working with conservative religions and cultures and people that may not have the resources or there's a lot of stigma in their culture around therapy and sexuality. So that was one of the reasons why I created a unique model in my work to help people, because I know that it can be difficult to work with spirituality and sexuality, because they're, they're two things that people think are really opposite, but there, there's a lot of things that are integrated between the two. So just let's start off with the basics. <laughs> can you just give us um, a, a quick guide, a quick uh, little lesson on proper names for female and male genitalia. Um, I'm asking this question because I was watching that this uh, the Goop series mm-hmm. on Netflix and there's an episode about the female. Oh, orgasm. yes, that's a good one. Yes, and there was a woman on there. I forgot what her name was, but she's Betty like Dawson. famous in this yes. area. Uh-huh. Yes. And she was talking about like, no, it's not your vagina, it's your vulva. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know that. So I think we should all know what everything that we have is properly called. So can you tell us a little bit? Yes, that's actually one of my biggest pet peeves when people call the vagina the vulva. So the vulva is the entire system that includes the vagina, the clitoris, the labia minora majora the uh, introitus or opening of the vagina. So it's basically called the vulva because it encompasses all those different parts. And the vagina is really just the vaginal canal. And so why it's Mm -hmm. important for people to call things their right name is because when you're referring to something, you want to know what you're referring to, especially if you're talking to a doctor or a partner about a concern or issue or what you like, you want to call things what they're called. And I still see this every day in TV. People are afraid to say the word vagina or vulva. And most people will say, I've never even heard of that word. Or I've never heard my family use that word growing up. So it's, it's important that we call things the proper name. So proper names, I would consider the scientific name or anatomical name. So if you were going to look into a book, that's what you would see listed. You would see vulva with all those different parts. And the most important part as we talk about sex, especially for female genitalia, is the clitoris. So the clitoris has within it the glands and bulbs and all of these parts. It actually looks like a wishbone. So a lot of people think it's this cute little button, but it's actually this really big organ. (laughs) It has a shaft just like a penis. 
It can get erections just like a penis, and it actually goes inside and outside of the body, which is why women have all these opportunities to have different types of orgasms. So I'm actually really fascinated by the clitoris. I talk a lot about this part in my work because it's really the key to good pleasure. I know I get boners, so for sure I get erections. <laughs> yay! Yay for female boners. <laughs> and mine is probably not cute as a bun. Mine's okay. <laughs> well, you know, it actually grows in size, so it can be hidden behind what we call the clitoral hood, which is equivalent to what male would have. Males would have as far as foreskin if they're not circumcised. Mm-hmm. And what that clitoral hood is, is we don't want to ignore that part. You can actually stroke it and massage it, and it can be a big part of pleasure. So once you're erect or feeling aroused, the clitoris actually engorges and becomes erect and actually protrudes outside of the clitoral hood and sometimes outside of the labia minora. So, uh, yes, it, it can actually grow in size and double in size when you're fully aroused. So that's why arousal is so important. And we want to take our time because I feel like one of the biggest issues with sex is that women aren't getting fully aroused. And that's why they're not enjoying sex as much. Oh, that's a great, great tip. I, I, I definitely want to make sure that I keep that in mind. I actually think I need to spend some time with a mirror and like checking where that all that's at. <laughs> that is not a bad idea because most people I know. have not done that and it makes them blush even thinking about it. But I think if we want to get comfortable with our bodies, we've got to look at it, be curious about it, touch it, you know, look at it. Even, you know, this is really controversial, but I always tell people taste your own fluids smell yourself because we have all these stigmas around, you know, thinking our genitalia are dirty or gross or smelly. And, and honestly, what you'll realize how natural and normal everything is with your sexuality, if you just explore it. And I think there's so much shame around our bodies that that becomes a huge mental barrier for people enjoying sex and for opening up to their partners, which is even more of a problem. Yeah. That's a great, great segue to my next question. What are some of those top tips or advice you would give to um, any type of sexual partner about maybe what they are doing that they are not liking or that they are liking? Is that a conversation you have during sex, after sex? And what kinds of words or phrases should we use in that kind of conversation? I'm assuming especially when I can only speak from my perspective, I am in a heterosexual relationship. I if my partner didn't even know like where the clitoris is or where that exists or where my orgasms come from or what I like, you know, what are the best ways to really talk, having that conversation? Right. Well, we want to assume that nothing in sex is innate. Everything we know about sex is learned. So whether you've been with your partner for a long time or not, you're still going to have to learn everything together when it comes to sex. So I would say first, like we're talking about with anatomy, you want to use the correct terms. We don't want to use these obscure terms like down there or my flower or things that make no sense. We want to <laughs> use real words and then be direct mm-hmm. and specific. So we want to, you know, sometimes we can be passive as far as what we're asking for. But by direct, I mean, I want more of this. This feels good to me. This doesn't feel that good to me. So we want to be constructive with the feedback that we're giving. And I would say try to have those conversations outside of the bedroom. 
if you are having them in the bedroom, let them be constructive in a way where you're also talking about things that are going well. So it's not just this critical conversation around things aren't going well or right and everything needs improvement. But I like to use this tool called a positive sandwich where you talk about one thing, a positive statement of something that's working, the middle piece being something that might need improvement, and then maybe the third thing being something you're looking forward to. So there's a way to communicate that that can be encouraging and motivating for both partners. And I think we want to get comfortable with feedback. When I hear communication issues around sex, I think we get really sensitive to feedback. But if we look at feedback as a way to learn and open up more opportunities with our partners, it can actually be a really good thing for your relationship. It can lead to better quality sex, less insecurities, better connection and intimacy because you can be honest with each other. You're not holding back. So you're probably going to end up having better quality sex in the long run. That's great because I feel like, especially in my younger 20s, I was having a lot of bad sex. <laughs> it happens to all of us. It was just <laughs> not great, you know? Yeah, like you just, you, I think also we're often socialized to not speak up and talk about like, no, that doesn't feel good. That does feel good. Um, and not just sex, but in many parts of our lives. So I think, you know, being able to have these conversations is very important because your pleasure is just as important as your partner's pleasure and you should be uh, invested in both. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. And I think, you know, the ego gets involved with sex quite a a bit, you know, no matter what type of relationship you're in. But we want to get over that and be able to know that, you know, Good sex requires communication. That's really the definition. It's the ability to communicate your needs to someone else. So uh, it's a work in progress. And I think you're right. We were socialized to be good girls and don't speak up and, you know, or just deal with it or or think that that's normal. A lot of people that I work with will say, oh, I Mm -hmm. thought, you know, all sex was kind of boring or that, you know, only certain people had great, exciting, passionate sex. And I didn't think that was a possibility for me. So I think we have all of these myths around sex that keep us from speaking up and really getting our needs met. Mm-hmm. Would you say there was a foolproof way of um, getting an orgasm or being able to orgasm multiple times? Practice, practice, practice. (laughs) And by that, I mean, first of all, women need to self-stimulate. So many women don't masturbate. And I think it's so important. Why? For orgasm, it actually primes your body for orgasm, kind of like working out. If we don't work out, Our muscles, what happens? They get weak. They're not strong. The same with our genital area. So masturbation is like a workout that primes your body for sex and orgasm. And we want to think of orgasm like a sneeze. It's really not the goal of sex or pleasure, but it is a side effect of good pleasuring. So if we're self-stimulating and having regular sexual activity, our bodies are kind of primed for that reflex and pleasure. And what a multiple orgasm is, is just training your body to sort of edge or sustain that arousal longer. So instead of maybe high intensity right away, let's say you're using a vibrator, you start out slow and you really build up and edge your response to that place of heightened pleasure. And then what an orgasm can feel like is these little waves of release of that buildup. So 
I think we want to train our bodies and know that orgasm is a learned response. Most people learn it early in life, kind of like learning a language. It's easier to do it earlier on when all those wirings are made, but it's not impossible. So if, for example, if you've never masturbated and you've never had an orgasm, it's absolutely possible, but you do have to train your body. So that's why I recommend self-stimulating. Vibrators are great. They're one of the best sexual health devices. I think everyone, no matter what your body type or gender type should have a, a vibrator. I think they can be really helpful to prime your body. And there's so many great devices out there now. And so I really think if you want to look at your orgasm potential, get some good toys and I can give you some recommendations if you need some. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love toys, by the way. I think that everyone should have at least a, a whole box of toys to play with. <laughs> wow a different toy box you know you have your toy box when you're young and then your toy box when exactly you're exactly your adult toy yeah box. i like this kind of exercising i need to do more of this type of exercising less of the actual <laughs> exercising that i do exactly you know? i mean elvie imagine all we did was practice 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 well especially in a sedentary right? job where you're sitting all day you know we put a lot of weight on our pelvic floor so that can weaken the muscles in the pelvic floor which can affect your orgasm so think about it if we're we're not really working out that area of our body we can't actually access those muscles so masturbation is a way that we can get those contractions and strengthen those muscles and so uh yeah it's a great form of it's kind of like a killing two birds with one stone you get the pleasure you get the workout you tone your muscles you feel really good it also makes your skin look great helps you sleep better there's so many health benefits of orgasm it's incredible it also boosts your immunity which is really good for this time now as we're dealing with COVID-19 I always tell people masturbate your way to better yeah. health <laughs> Should you be doing that like You know, I think if day? you are doing it more frequently, you just want to change it up, just like any workout. So you want to change your routine, make sure you're uh, focusing less on the orgasm and more on the quality of the experience. By that, I mean experiment with your body. Try different positions. Try using lubricant, using stimulating gels, trying different toys. So you want to vary it and make it different every time. That way, if we're looking at it like priming, you're not priming your body for just a one-way track to pleasure. You're priming your body for all types of pleasure, which is probably better when you're with a partner because then you're going to be able to be more responsive mm -hmm. to different types of touch and different positions. So that's what I would recommend. And I would say that uh, if you notice you're masturbating too much, what it could be an indication of is you're using masturbation less for pleasure and more for a coping mechanism, sometimes boredom, stress, dealing with other emotions. So that might be a good time to speak to someone because you could develop better coping mechanisms. That way, masturbation is used just for pleasure and not for dealing with other issues. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I say that's interesting just because, you know, in my sexual life I think about the times that I was with partners who did masturbate a lot and I wonder if they were doing that because of what you just said they were coping with something else that's really interesting I didn't even think exactly about you know we call it out of control it's it's in the category of out of control sexual behavior which isn't uncommon it can be 
using masturbation, pornography, certain sexual acts and behaviors. So it becomes a replacement. And the problem with it is it becomes doesn't become pleasurable anymore. It almost becomes a dependency to feel that normalcy or level of balance. So it kind of hijacks your pleasure system and becomes a way to cope with mental health issues. So it can be a pretty big issue if you don't get it addressed. So you want to make sure if it is a problem or if a partner has that problem that you reach out for help. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And it's a really interesting, especially in our Latino community. I know Elvie and I grew up in fairly conservative um, Latino homes and definitely did not grow up with, you know, it being okay to have sex outside of marriage. We grew up with somewhat religious homes, um, as well as like guilt a lot around porn or masturbation. Um, how can we avoid feelings of guilt when, when this is happening, especially in these households or these religions? I know you mentioned earlier that that's kind of an area of expertise. It is, yes. Um, what is often the advice that you give to, especially because most of our listeners um, and most of the community that we've built through our podcast and our platforms are the Latinx community. So they deal heavily with conservative. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I, I talk to actually my mother about this issue all the time, Catholic guilt, or these guilt uh, messages we learn. And I think the first step is to be able to have community, like what you're offering now as a podcast, a community that is sex positive that talks about sex in a different way that's not sex negative and what we need to do is learn different messages if you've been bombarded throughout your life with messages that are negative or stigmas around sex then that's your only programming around how you think about sex so that's going to affect your values your beliefs and therefore your behavior so I think if we can have community that is sex positive Also education, I think because that's an area that lacks in almost every community, just no education around sex, even the focus being primarily on reproductive health and not things like intimacy, skill building, consent and boundaries. People are just full of questions and unknowns, which leads to even more shame and guilt. So I think information, knowledge, and community are absolutely the keys to overcoming these problems and also learning new messages. You know, if you are still uh, carrying guilt around from your upbringing and you're carrying it into new relationships, you might want to look at what are my values now? Do I still believe in those same beliefs or do I want to look at new beliefs around sexuality and what might be healthy for me might be different from someone else. So I think we want to develop our own individual values around sex and really spend time doing that. And values can be things like, I believe in monogamy or I believe in, you know, here are the boundaries of what I feel is sexually healthy and for me. And that's how you develop new beliefs is figure out what works for you rather than these really broad general messages that are guilt-ridden or anxiety-provoking around sex. Yeah, I think that's really great that you say that. And um, being that, you know, some of us grew up in these homes, um, what are some ways that you think we can practice getting comfortable in our own skin and with ourselves and just becoming more open and adventurous. I think it's always good to start with yourself first, your own individual relationship with your body. It's really the longest relationship we have in our life and probably the most abused relationship with our body image issues or unrealistic standards around our body. 
And I think that leads to so many people having shame around their sexuality because they don't feel sexual, because they don't feel like they're the norm or that's the number one question I hear in my practice. Am I normal? Is something wrong with me because I'm not experiencing sex as I see it on TV or what I'm hearing my friends talk about? So I think you have to start with you first. And like we said earlier, exploring your own body giving yourself permission to be a sexual being and explore your pleasure and be curious about your sexuality. I think that's a journey that everyone has to go on in order to be sexually empowered and informed to start with your own body and look at yourself and think of sexuality as something that's positive. Part of the reasons I started my practice is I thought that sexual health is such a big part of overall wellness not just what we're doing sexually, the act of sex, it's so much more than that. And so that was my mission is to teach people that it's much more than just mechanical sex. It's really this whole key to wellness and our well-being, mental, you know, mind, body, heart, and spirit. So I think for people, it's to be able to, to recognize that. What's sexually healthy for me? What do I need to be sexually healthy? And for females, that includes everything from reproductive health to body image to understanding your anatomy and physiology, understanding your values and your boundaries around sex and having good communication skills and learning how to use that in intimacy as well with a partner. Dr. Chavez, that really hit home to me that you just said the longest relationship you have is the one with your body and it's the most mm-hmm. abused relationship. Wow. That really s- struck a chord with me. I, it makes a lot of sense now, but it's true. LV and I constantly talk and we always say that the best advice we would give our younger selves is, is loving ourselves because man, we've been brutal to, to ourselves mm-hmm. for a long time. And you're right. Like including sex and sexuality, but all encompassing, like you said, the body, the mind, soul, the body, the spirit, all of it is just one whole wellness, holistic being. And it's like, how do we treat exactly? And we're not born um, hating and, our bodies. And it is the most abused yeah, relationship. We're not born hating sure. our bodies. Everything we yeah. learn or everything about our bodies is learned. So let's say you grew up in a family where there was body shaming or a mother always talking about your body or saying, oh, you need to lose weight or you shouldn't wear that or whatever it could be. You start to program in that something isn't right with my body. And it's really staggering to see these reports that young girls as young as four years old are developing eating disorders because they're feeling like their bodies are not normal or they're too fat. So it's, it's really a big issue. It's a bigger issue than even what we're talking about here. It's this really global issue around body shame. And so I think if we can start loving our bodies, that's why I love social media. I'm seeing a lot of body positivity and different movements coming in around body love that I think is so needed. Every person, no matter who they are, needs that message. Because males have their own body image issues. I'm seeing that pop up a lot in my practice now too, is you know males dealing with body shame and not feeling you know, sexy enough, normal enough. And so it's, it's everyone, everyone has had some level of body dysmorphia or body image issue. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, So once we get our mind right and we feel positive and we are in the act of sex, what are some ways to get out of your mind? I know, especially as a very busy society that we are, we have so many things to do. We ha- constantly have those tabs open in our brain. 
um, but we want to make sure that we are still fulfilling our sexual needs. How can we get out of our mind and think about sex and focus on sex that, rather than focusing on all of our yes. to-do Yes, you know, lists? relaxation is so important. I always tell people you want to get ready for sex. And by that, I mean relax. Maybe you want to take a shower first. I even recommend stretching before sex doing things that get you in your body, embodied. I also love things like dance and music because it also gets you feeling playful. It evokes positive emotions. And sometimes that can be the shift you need to get out of that, you know, busy mind or mental chatter that you're, you've been carrying around all day. So we want to have some level of transition going into a sexual situation. And I think mindfulness is a great practice, even on a daily basis. And for that, it could be meditation. It could be breathing work and breath work and techniques. Anything that you can do to relax your body is going to be helpful for sex. Because the more relaxed you are, the more connected you can be to what's happening in your body, like sensations and changes in arousal. But if we're not relaxed, we're going to be in our heads and we're going to experience stress and tension and all of these mental barriers. So I think relaxation should be a practice that is not just every now and then when I have time, but a daily practice, just like eating healthy and, you know, taking care of your body. It should be relaxation and stress management is, is ideal for sex. A little, a little. Exactly. It's, it's, it's before. definitely helps. Mindful sex is, is definitely helpful. <laughs> yes. Um, so what were your thoughts be in terms of, you know, you've talked about how to prepare for sex and, you know, get your mind ready to engage in the act, whether with yourself or with a partner. Um, so when it comes to different types of, I guess, I don't know what you want to call this, like a kink that people have in terms of what are your thoughts on someone being really aggressive, um, in the bedroom? Is that okay? Is that like positive behavior? Um, is it safe to do, to be aggressive with a partner? That's a good question. Um, I think, you know, we want to define what it means to be aggressive because some people may like rough sex, which may be Mm -hmm. just sort of kind of more of a playful Mm -hmm. or role play acts around sex. But if aggressive sex, you know, aggression is really something that you're um, averting towards a partner that might be negative without, you know, trying to intentional uh, behavior to hurt someone else. But if it's really just about rough sex or exploring, I think that. What you want to do first and foremost is communicate that openly. You want there to be no surprises in the bedroom. That way, if your partner is open to that and there's discussions around that and maybe you communicate, hey, I kind of like rough sex and this is what it would look like or this is what what I might want to explore, what feels good. Make sure everything is out in the open first. You never want to try something if there hasn't been consent because that's where we get into safety issues and boundary issues, and that's going to create more problems. But if you are really interested in trying a kink or something new or want to explore a different type of sex, open up communication first and talk about what that would look like. And that way, both partners are on the same page Mm -hmm. and you make sure that it's a consensual act, which will lead to better safety and, and comfort during that act. 
No, that's good. See, Alvia, you want to be a dominatrix. You just got to let your partner know. <laughs> exactly. Just get some, uh, let, it, let your partner know. Yeah. Tell them what know. that looks like. Let our know. <laughs> you can finally put that outfit on that I know you've been hiding. <laughs> yes. When we get the whip out. Um, a really big question that we had was around anal sex. Um, I think there's so many misconceptions about it, but um, does anal sex affect us or hurt us in any way? And we're talking about a female perspective, but I also want to add in a hetero relationship, a female using a toy for a male, knowing that that's a mm-hmm. big part of his arousal. So um, walk us through anal sex. Is it, is it healthy? Does it hurt us? Does it negatively affect us? Anal sex is healthy if it's done right. And it requires some preparation because it's not something you just want to jump into without any education or awareness. And preparation includes having the right lubricants, knowing what devices are uh, used for anal play and which devices are not recommended, starting really slow and kind of building up to different types of penetration But you definitely want to have some education first, because if you don't start slow and maybe rush into it without the right preparation, there could be injury. And so uh, if you start slow, it can actually be really pleasurable for both females and males. There's a lot of nerve endings in um, the anal and sphincter area. There's a lot of sensitivity in that area. For males, they actually have something called a P-spot which is internally through the prostate gland. And sometimes we call that equivalent to sort of the G-spot in female. It's a highly sensitive nerve bundle within that area. So uh, stimulation of that area, either with a finger, a device, or uh, there's a whole act called pegging where you can actually use a strap on and penetrate your partner anally is a whole act that can be highly pleasurable. But I think you would have to have a partner who's sort of open to that and has had some education on, again, the preparation for, for uh, any sort of anal play. So I think it can be it could be a great way to explore, but you want to make sure that you have all the right products. And lubricant is really important because it's a highly sensitive area. They're muscles that contract quickly, so you want to really work the muscles a little bit and start slow and uh, just make sure you're ready. There's readiness there. Get that coconut Exactly. <laughs> that is a lot of great information. I'm like listening to you over here and I'm just like blushing at the things that you're saying. I'm like, that's so interesting. I'm, I'm like, I'm really, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to try that. A pegging? <laughs> I've actually really wanted to do that. I have, I'm not embarrassed. There's nothing taboo for me. I have been wanting to do this with my partner because I know that there's so much pleasure that comes out from a, I'm in a heterosexual relationship from that area for the, from, for the male. So I have been, and I bought a toy specifically for that because I wanted to, but obviously it's like, we've had this conversation, so it's not anything. Yeah. No surprise. Just surprise. There used to be, <laughs> there used to be Guess this whole video series today. called bend over boyfriend. And it was all about pegging and how to, and it, I just, the, the vi- I just remember the video cover of the, the girl with the strap on and it was just too, too funny, but it is a highly popular act. And I think, um, you know, I think for males, there should be no stigma or shame around enjoying anal pleasure. I think, again, with that P-spot gland, it's very normal to stimulate. Even if you want to massage externally first, the part from the scrotum to the anus is called the perineum. 
it's a little fleshy uh, part mm-hmm. between those two organs. You can actually massage there and sometimes even feel the prostate gland. It's kind of a walnut-shaped gland that you can feel through there. Or if you were to insert a finger, you can kind of squeeze and feel the prostate gland. So uh, it also helps males that have maybe issues with erectile dysfunction. Sometimes massaging the prostate gland can cause a hardening or strengthening of the erection. So that works by causing a rush of blood flow into the penis just by stimulating the prostate. So just some little tips and tricks to learn when it comes to understanding your anatomy. Mm, very good. So interesting. <laughs> I'm like, I will have to use that. Y'all trust me, time. I heard this from a doctor. It's gonna work. <laughs> yeah. Just relax. <laughs> um, so is there a healthy amount of sex that we should be having? Um, what is too little, too much? Um and you kind of address it in terms of masturbating if you you should do it basically differently but so basically how often in terms of sex should be we having that if we are Mm -hmm. in a you know I think this is the question everyone always wants to know what's the magic number around quantifying sex and I think we want to focus less on the frequency and more on the quality because you could have great quality interactions, you know, once a week and that could be satisfying for you. I think it's very subjective to every person because so many things affect our sex drive and that can be stress, what's going on in our lives, our hormone levels, uh, relational conflicts. So I think we want to be realistic that there's a lot of things that can affect how much desire we're feeling on a regular basis. But I think we also want to know that if we are having problems and not having a lot of sex, we want to address it. There could be solutions around that. So I think what we also want to do is not just settle for not having any interest in sex and not being uh, not looking at sex as an important part of your relationship, whether you're single or not. So I would say, you know, finding a, a healthy quality of sex and making sex, whether it's individual masturbation or partnered sex, a regular part of your health routine. So I would say too little is when you're absolutely ignoring that you have sex, a sexual problem or a problem with desire and, you know, as I said, with masturbation, highly, I highly recommend that on a regular basis. It's definitely not a replacement for partnered sex, but it should be looked at as its own separate activity that can actually help with, like we talked about, priming your body and helping your body have stronger sexual response, which may actually help boost your sexual desire over time. Ooh, yes. Just going to masturbate more. I'm all for that. <laughs> Yes. So, Dr. Chavez, I began Misinformed Latina because I really wanted to equip young Latinas with the right resources and tools around all things health, but especially around sexual health. What are your tips um, for young Latinas around uh, masturbation or exploring your body um, and really kind of understanding early on so that they have a more pleasurable life. I think that's a big part of Elvie and I always say, like, we didn't know so much, you know, kind of in our late teens, early 20s. And that's why we said we had probably bad sex lives in our 20s. And it's much better now because we're so much more comfortable. But what could we have done earlier on? And what is too early, right? I know that most of us peak at our or we get our menstrual cycles between the ages of roughly 12 to 14. Um 
you know, is that too early or, or how early should we start thinking about that and equipping ourselves? You know, I so think that we, we should really be talking about sex even in childhood because we are, de- we have developing and changing bodies. We don't want to be afraid of sexuality, especially because we're going through all these changes in our sexuality, our entire lives. So we want to think about even prior to puberty, we're going through changes. And I see this a lot with my Latinas that are mothers where they're having, you know, difficulty if they see their kid touching themselves and they don't know how to talk to them. I think we want to just normalize that sexuality is all okay, whether it's exploring your body and just learning boundaries early on. So I would say what we want to do is know just that honestly, there's not a lot of sex education out there. So take that into your own hands, whether that's reading a good book. I have a a lot of great book recommendations for for females around sex and understanding all the changes that your body goes through, understanding hormones and everything you need to know about sex and sexuality. So I would say take that learning into your own hands. Read some books. Definitely talk to people about it. I think the more we can talk to other people about it, whether that's, you know, ask your friends, how's your vulva doing today? Have you masturbated lately? Do you have a, did you, you know, check out this new vibrator I got? I think it starts to normalize those conversations. And also it'll help us just have the language to talking about sex later on in our lives. So I think that can be one way. And then also just realizing that pleasure is our birthright. And it's something that we are, we're pleasure seekers in all areas of our life. So sex is just one of the ways that we experience pleasure. And so we can look at it like that. It's not just, you know, penis to vagina sex. It's there's all sorts of ways we experience pleasure in our sexuality. So I would say, you know, learning to understand your sexuality starts with knowing you. So that's a a self journey that everyone is on. And it's going to look different for everyone, like we said, but, uh, you know, just taking the time to understand what your sexuality looks like without comparing it to anyone else. Hey, Diana, did you masturbate today? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I haven't, but I, I, I am now definitely going to Good. I love how you started that conversation. <laughs> See, it wasn't too hard. <laughs> oh, Elvie and I are really open about this types of conversations. Yeah. We... You- we have we're probably a little good though open. i mean i think i just asked my mother that question earlier today because i'd sent her a vibrator and lube and i said mom did you use that yet and i was making her blush she was probably doing the sign of the cross but i said you know what mom we're having this conversation whether you like it or not <laughs> i was telling elvia about this and i'm like that should have been exactly <laughs> My mom would probably <laughs> thrown it at me. You can say, Mom, you can use it on your back and shoulders. You can use it on any part of your body. <laughs> it's a exactly. massage. Exactly. <laughs> uh, all right. So um, how would you say um, someone's attachment style can impact their sex life with a new sex partner mm-hmm. or any sex partner? Um be it that they have an anxious uh, attachment style, dismissive, fearful. Sure. So our attachment style basically determines how we get our needs met in relationships. And they're developed really early on in life. So that may affect how we're communicating our needs. It may help. It may uh, determine how we're responding to our partner's needs. So I think that can come up with sex because we may not be asking for what we want. Or like we talked about earlier, we may be having trouble giving feedback 
to a partner about what feels good. So I think if that becomes a concern, I think it's always good to identify what your attachment style is and areas that you can work on to maybe improve that communication around your needs. And also look at how that's playing out dynamically in your relationship. If you have, for example, an anxiously attached and an avoidantly attached tend to be in relationship together. So that can be kind of a push and pull around intimacy and how they're getting their needs met. So I think if you, if you know how you get your needs met and it's not working for you, looking at different tools and ways to, to help change that. And that's where therapy can become really help, uh, healthy and helpful. I use a lot of attachment theory in my work around sex because it makes a lot of sense to how people are communicating what they need and want. And sometimes I would say most of the times that area needs improvement. Oh, yeah. I think I didn't become comfortable with communicating until my 30s. That's for sure. Um, and, I, and I think I did spend a lot of time, at least in my 20s, feeling anxious um, or just. Right. I mean, I think so day. much of it is learned or yeah. reinforced and, and it just, you know, we can keep repeating the same patterns until we kind of get that awareness or take that time to do that learning and say, OK, this isn't working for me or. I don't want to keep doing this this one way if it's not meeting my needs. So it's it's definitely good to do some self-reflection and recognize when some of these things are a problem and know that there can be changes that you can make. Yeah. Well, Dr. Chavez, this has been so incredible, <laughs> extremely insightful. Extremely yes, me and informative. Yay. Yay. I'm taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> It's been really good. And I know we, I, I'm really open about talking about sex. I have nieces who are roughly about 11 and 12 and I, it's really important to me. I don't have children of my own. I don't know if I plan to have children of my own, but when they're in the room, I remember getting undressed. She was like, Oh my God, Pia, turn around. I'm like, no, I'm not going to turn around. I'm like, you have breasts. I have breasts. We have vulvas. We have vaginas. Why are you embarrassed of that? I'm not going to be embarrassed of it. So I like made her watch me like, just quickly change and not have that's to good though I mean that that's you know? that's I'm good like, you're helping her you know, get rid of that embarrassment and uh what a cool I, I think it's because our generation is changing right I think that our we talk about we've talked with other mental health therapists about generational traumas and the fact that a lot of our parents are immigrant parents that are conservative and religious, all the things that we touched on earlier. And I think it's up to us to change those because we are becoming more educated. We are becoming more open. We are having these conversations. And that's the only way, like you mentioned earlier, that we're going to change the landscape of how we feel, think, and act about sex. Or yes, sexual health. definitely. Um, um, all right. So we're at our final round. Um I started Misinformed Latina, like I mentioned to you earlier, and like I mentioned to you two years ago, um, because I really wanted to equip young Latinas with the right resource and tools around career, health, finances, but especially even sexual health, um, because I feel like I navigated my adult life so blindly. Um, so I really always thought of like, what would I tell my 20-year-old self knowing what I know now? So I want to pose that question to you, Dr. Chavez, knowing what you know now about life in general, inclusive of sex. I would definitely your 20-year-old self. Can you hear me? Okay, okay sorry. I was hearing a little bit of an echo. Yeah. 
Uh, I would tell my 20 year old self to love yourself no matter what. Like we said earlier, you know, your relationship with you affects every relationship in the future. So love yourself, uh, accept yourself and know that whatever you're feeling and whoever you feel you are is okay. You don't have to fit in. You can be who you are individually. And, uh, you know, that's the advice I would give. Oh, yes. That's great advice. Um, And with that advice, is there any advice that you take with you every day that you received from uh, sometime in your life from a parent, an aunt, maybe a mentor, uh, a friend, a coach? And that's something that you still, you know, I think the best today. advice has always been about, you know, remember to work hard and, you know, whatever you put your mind to, you can make happen. So I think that's always been good advice. And I think we want to dream big and know that we can manifest anything, whether that's a good sex life or something you want in your career or family. So I definitely think to, you know, never give up on yourself. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Yes. Thank you so much, Dr. Chavez. This has been so wonderful. Where can people find you? So my website is drshannonchavez.com and I'm on all social media at Dr. Shannon Chavez. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a very juicy and sexy podcast. <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Chavez. All right, and sounds good. We'll Thanks for having us me. At the next one. Bye. 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 Thank you. Yes. Bye. Bye. Yeah.